Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today on the podcast, we are looking at the life and legacy of Grandmaster June Ree. My name is Mark Zorianis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine, your host for this podcast and a third down black belt. On April 30th of 2018, the earthly world lost Grandmaster Junri. He was 86 years old. Now, with a year having passed and some time to reflect and mourn, we can get a better look at the life and contribution of this great man, not only to Taekwondo, but to the martial arts and to society in general. Grandmaster Ree has been called the father of American Taekwondo because when he came to the United States after being born in Korea in the 30s, having experienced World War II and the Korean conflict, come to the United States and served in the military before graduating from college. People didn't know about Taekwondo. They didn't know anything about Taekwondo for the most part. They knew very little about the martial arts. To most people in the West, if they knew anything about the martial arts, they they characterized everything as gung fu. That's what they referred to it as. That's what they thought it was. But Grandmaster Ree had a different vision. His vision was to come to the United States and to teach Taekwondo. And after coming here and after falling in love with the country, he strategically opened his first Dojang in 1962 in the Washington, D.C. area. And I say strategically because it was his goal to be closer to the capital of the country that he loved. And he didn't just talk about loving the United States. He gave back. Grandmaster Ree in his life taught over 250 members of Congress and the United States government Taekwondo on a volunteer basis. He dedicated his time and the time of his instructors to being able to improve the lives and the safety of members of our, of our government, including Joe Biden, Jesse Jackson Jr., Thomas Foley, and others. For those who are old enough to remember, he was famous for setting up martial arts tournaments in which the Democrats would spar the Republicans. What a great way to work out some of your tensions and differences outside of the political forum and, and the media. Grandmaster Ree was an innovator. He was an inventor. He is responsible for the earliest U.S. patents for protective sparring gear, which have evolved today and allowed 
Taekwondo combat to be fierce and intense and yet not compromise the safety of the combatants. He was a humanitarian who believed that the philosophies of Taekwondo transcended race and color and creed and national origin and gender. And when you talk to people about Grandmaster Ri, he didn't just talk the talk, but walked the walk. He, at a time, as you'll hear in our interviews, at a time that the United States was dealing with issues of segregation and race relations, made it clear that all students, regardless of color, walked through the front door of his dojang. He gave everyone an opportunity, and everyone had the opportunity for advancement and promotion, so long as they were willing to be respectful and work hard and follow the tenets of Taekwondo. Grandmaster Ri was somewhat of an innovator as well in the area of marketing for the martial arts in Taekwondo. In the 1980s, he ran a series of very famous commercials which would become somewhat signifying of his personality and his legacy and the slogan, Nobody Bothers Me, became associated with him and his dynasty. He appeared in one of my favorite martial arts films, which, unbeknownst to me until I began working on this project, was heavily driven by Bruce Lee before his passing, and that film is called When Taekwondo Strikes which I highly recommend if you have an opportunity to see it, as well as, as being a great look at Grandmaster Ri. It's a good look at the some political conflicts in Korea. Master Ri appeared on the cover of almost every major martial arts magazine in his life. He was named uh, Martial Arts Man of the Year, Man of the Century, one of the most influential black belts of all time by Black Belt Magazine. One of the true testaments to Grandmaster Ree's vision is that he didn't merely limit himself to the study and teaching of Taekwondo, but believed in the development of the philosophies and the art. And it was because of this that he established friendships and exchanged ideas with men like Muhammad Ali, the legend Bruce Lee. And there are some great stories about their relationships and a book which we will link at the end of this, uh, in the show notes of this podcast, about the relationship of Grandmaster Ree and Bruce Lee. Arnold Schwarzenegger, another one 
who shared ideas with Grandmaster Ree about the physical fitness and patriotism from the perspective of someone who came to the country and fell in love with it. Jackie Chan. It didn't matter to Grandmaster Ree whether or not they were Taekwondo practitioners. He felt there was something that he could teach and something that he could learn from those relationships. And that is emblematic of his life and his philosophy. In today's podcast, we talked to two people who knew, worked with, and had relationships with Grand, Grandmaster Rian. We're going to share just a tip of the iceberg of stories about their life and experience. One is Master Francis Pineda, 7th Don Master, training with Grandmaster Ree since the early 80s, and who runs the Arlington School in the Junry system today. The second very moving and poignant discussion with Master Chun Ree. Seventh Don Master and the son, one of the sons of Grandmaster Ree. We're proud to bring you this look at Grandmaster Ree. We hope you enjoy it and we hope it inspires you to learn more about the life and legacy of Grandmaster Ree to perhaps pick up some of the books that we highlight in the show notes and to live like Grandmaster Ree, a patriotic life dedicated towards improving the life of others. That is, to me, the legacy of Grandmaster Ree and the legacy of any good martial arts practitioner. Okay, so we're talking today with Master Francis Pineda, a sixth Don. Do I have that correct? You're a six-degree black belt? Actually, I got promoted to seventh. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm sorry that I, you. I, I didn't realize that I didn't have your, your updated. I, I'm, I'm sorry. So we're talking today to Fran, Master Francis Pineda, a seventh-degree black belt and uh, a student uh, and someone who was very close to Grandmaster June Ree, and we'll talk a little bit about, about that. Uh, we are talking today in the one-year anniversary of the passing and the memorial for Grandmaster June Ree, a, uh, an unconditionally transformative presence in American Taekwondo, and American martial arts. So welcome today, uh, Master Pineda. Hi, thanks Thanks for having me. Very good. So so let's start out by, before we get into talking about uh, Grandmaster Ree, let's talk a little bit about you. I see that you are a, as you said, a seventh Don, um, a seventh degree black belt. I see that you are a longtime associate of Grandmaster Ree. And that you have uh, had some interesting 
um, interesting opportunities in your own um, practice and teaching of martial arts, in, including some cinematic work and some work. I wanted to get into a little bit with you about your work on uh, yeah, sure. the Untouchable Computer Series. So tell us a little bit about your. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, um, I, I'm really I'm, I'm a lifelong martial artist. I mean, I, I started martial arts when I was. Uh, 10 in the 80s and um, you know I was kind of one of those kids where I, I, I tried every sport and every activity and, and, and my parents threw everything at me and, and the only thing that really stuck was martial arts and just something that was such a, a big part of my life I, I stayed with it all through um, you know all through <laughs> all through school all through college um, of course I ended up making a career out of it and um, yeah, and, and I talk to people sometimes, and they say, "Oh, wow, you're you're seventh degree. What does it take?" And I said, "Really, it, it just takes not quitting, just just really sticking around and and making it a part of your life, and and uh, things just kind of happen." But uh, of course, along the way, uh, and of course through the journey, really with anything, the the longer you're in a sort of society, the the smaller the world gets. So of course, you know, I've had an opportunity to meet. A lot of people, um, a lot of martial artists, and I've had a chance to to take part in a lot of different things, and 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 really just you know a, a byproduct of, of of being in martial arts for so long. Well, that's great, and 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 I I think what you say is is very true. Um, I I think you probably to some degree downplay your own um, commitment and and performance, but I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that there are some some benchmarks in training and i think one of them is becoming a a first don and then i think it's the journey beyond second don because i think we see that for a lot of people they they're targeted on that goal of becoming a first don and then there are those folks that recognize becoming a first don becomes your the beginning of something new and then that that Mm -hmm. that journey takes on an entire uh lifelong commitment and those are the people like yourself that end up you know in the sixth on seventh on if given enough time and an opportunity yeah no absolutely i i uh and that's kind of a, a a big part of uh of how i teach my own students i mean you know the uh, i don't know what the national average has changed but but my understanding is that you know something like three percent of all people that start martial arts make it all the way to black belt which you know is is, is a pretty small percentage and and i think because of that, people are so uh, over-focused on getting the first degree that they see that as like the end of the road. And and I think uh, a lot of my students have gotten there, have realized that, and, and the way I teach it is that black belt or first dan isn't isn't the last step. It's actually the first step. And then after that, then you really start to understand the martial arts. You get become a bigger part of the philosophy, and 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 you really start to open your eyes and learn. Because really, on your way up there, you're just kind of getting your feet wet and you're learning the basics. I I, I think that's well said, and I and I couldn't agree more. Um, and I I think that that is something that um, I've observed firsthand. I know it, it for me that's been the case. And when I speak, a lot of times, if I have the opportunity to speak at uh, the black belt test. It's one of the things that I always encourage, always to, to yeah. try to keep those students focused on the fact that you know you've done something wonderful, but this isn't the goal. This is now you're now what we're saying now is you're now ready for the journey. So um, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. So now yeah. you're you're in your training, 
you had the good fortune. Um, you started your training with um, Grandmaster Ree. Is that the, the yes? The, the, yeah. Like, wow, that's that's pretty significant. How did you how did you come to how did you uh, come to um, start training with Grandmaster Ree? Well, you know, I, I think it's uh, I was one of very many people that was completely. Uh, mesmerized by by the commercial, by the old commercial, and you know anyone that's a that's almost a a, um, a a benchmark for you know finding out if someone's a true Washingtonian because people will say oh I remember those old commercials and that commercial completely got me um, um, it, it caught my eye I, I was actually equidistant between uh, Grandmaster E School and another another martial arts school and. I was doing all my research and this and that, but man, that commercial just kept coming on. And, and of course I gave it a shot and, and, and I fell in love from that point forward. That is, um, that I think that, you know, it is something that, uh, people who are younger may not fully appreciate, but the fact of the matter is, is that, and, and, and you can speak to this better than I can, uh, as well as being a, um, accomplished martial artist and humanitarian uh grandmaster Ree's approach to the business of the martial arts was somewhat well i would say transformative it was transformative and different in terms of things like the the famous commercials and and newspaper ads would you agree with that and and you've had the opportunity to take to see that in the rearview mirror but as it relates Mm -hmm. to the 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 industry of the martial arts and the business of the martial arts as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, Grandmaster E, he really, um, I mean, he knew business and he, he, he really worked it from the ground up. I mean, he told me stories on, of how he would just, you know, stand on the sidewalk and he'd pass out flyers and, and he would just really put his, put the nose to the grind and, and and as a student, um, you know, I've, I I always saw the school is done very professional. And then when I started to become staff, I started to take a look at the, the business systems and how it ran, and it was run so efficiently. I mean, honestly, I mean, the systems that I learned when I first started teaching are a lot of the same systems that are still in play now. And a lot of that has gone into um, – you know, organizations like EFC, you know, Nico Kinas was uh, very big in the junior system. And um, my understanding also is that Grand Mastery helped a lot of other people, um, business, you know, Korean business people um, take part. Uh, again, my understanding is that Jay Kim um, of Kim's Karate came to the United States and he wanted to learn the systems and Grand Mastery had kind of taught him a few things and, with just a simple agreement of, hey, you know, you can uh, run schools in Baltimore and I'll run schools in Washington, D.C., and uh, just kind of go from there. Um, but I'll tell you, I, Grandmaster E, it, it really, at, at the height, when he really started to become popular, he was doing seminars um, yearly and big seminars on how to run a martial arts business. And and I'm talking these seminars would be weeks long. It would be like a one week, eight hours a day, and all he would do is talk about, you know, business, how to run it, how all the the wheels and the machine connected, 
um, and how to be successful. I mean, he, he absolutely um, saw the opportunity to make martial arts a livelihood rather than, you know, become a, uh, just something you do on the side. And at the same time, he was able to do this without, you know, quote unquote, selling out, you know, becoming too much of a business person and concentrating on the business. Rather, what he did was he showed you, you know, how to run what you do efficiently and make a living doing it, but at the same time, protecting your ideals and, and, and the spirit of the martial arts along the way. I think that's an important balance, and I think that that's a really, really important thing to talk about because, you know, there are many other opportunities that have come along, and, and I certainly think that there's something for everybody. But I think that one of the, you know, complaints about many of the systems that have become uh, more of a franchise-type model are that the focus on business to some degree trumps the, uh, the focus on, on performance and the, and the focus on, on the art. And my understanding mm-hmm. of reading about Grandmaster Rhee, one of the things that really impressed me, because I come from a very traditional style of training, is that I had read a story about, and, and you can tell me how, how, how this rings true from your perspective, but how a very accomplished um, student of Grandmaster Rhee's had attended a black belt test and had was really probably more skilled than some of the other students there. And I guess at the time of the, of bowing in either individually or in a group that Grandmaster Re found his, um, his bow to be less than respectful and asked him mm-hmm. to step off to the side. And the student had written that he had expected that that was going to be, you know, a, a short punishment, but turned out to be the entire test. And he was required to test <laughs> at, at a later date. For mm-hmm. some, that may be shocking. For me, that is a testament to the type of training that I've had and the testament to the fact that that um, that certain standards are not able to be compromised when you're a true a true martial artist and it's more than than the business and it's more than simply um, your performance of technique uh, it, does that story ring true to you in terms of the, the, the oh. nature of, of the system and the training absolutely uh, absolutely I mean um, you know the, the thing about the thing about our system uh, the, the Jinri system is, is it's not overly complicated, you know, it, it, and if you're an experienced martial artist, you know, you, you could probably pick up on a lot of how to do things quickly, but um, it, it's, it's very important that everything uh, has a very um, mental aspect to it. Everything ties into you as a person, as a whole, not just your, your physical abilities. Now, of course, in the junior system, you know, we have a lot of champions. And, and, and of course, I just, just through observation, you know, I'm, I feel as though that most of the, the, the world forms and fights champions, if you were to narrow them to one school, I think the junior system has produced a, a lot of them. And that, you know, that just kind of happens to become a side product of being so disciplined and being so focused. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I have actually, I've actually witnessed with my own eyes, Grandmaster Ree, um, telling someone to come back and test later just because they couldn't get a simple bow correct. And, and I'll tell you, if, if, if you see the end of the, the funeral ceremony, uh, Grandmaster Ree's son, Master Chun Ree, he, he really, you know, it, it, he calls it the final bow. But it was really such a 
very unique to our style, but it means so much that we do a bow with conscious effort. So we call it a nine second bow. You stand at attention for three seconds to show self-discipline. You bow, you hold it for three seconds to show respect. You stand for three seconds without moving again to show self-discipline and self-control. And, and that uh, gives you the mental aspect of everything that you should put into a bow, you know, because of course a bow later on, you know, if it becomes habitual, you know, you just kind of, you know, uh, almost a nod. It's almost like a nod. You know, it's, it's right, like right. the difference between nodding to someone and taking the time to shake their hand with eye contact and, and truly greet them. If you, if you don't put your body and your effort into it, it really doesn't mean much. And of course, nothing could mean more to Grand Mastery than discipline and respect. And, and out of all the, out of all the kicks and the punches, and, and that's one thing that I teach, you know, we teach our students also, out of all the kicks and punches and forms and all the things we do, the, the absolute most important thing is the ability to stand at attention and the ability to show proper respect. I mean, that is, is really the most important above all. And, and that I think is, what really kept it keeps our system very strong. Um, it, it keeps our standards very strong because we 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 take some of the most important fundamental ideals, although they may seem simple, but we we really emphasize you know what we feel is important, and that was something that Grandmaster Reed had always held 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 strong to. That's very. Uh, it rings very near and dear to my heart because I am trained through a. Um, a system that has has the the same the same code and and the bow for us is extremely extremely important and and the measure of respect whether you are and you know the one thing that we come to instill in our leaders is is that you know the the greatest way to lead by is for our our white belts and our orange belts is to lead by that example and to never forget that just because you earn the when you earn the higher rank there's actually a greater obligation and responsibility to observe those tenants then uh, it doesn't become a matter of the fact that you, you now get a pass you're actually it's, it's, it's a greater responsibility for you to be able to to instill and to lead by the example um, as opposed to simply telling people what to do and showing them what to do is the, is the important mm -hmm. thing. yeah and I think I think leading by example I mean that <laughs> That has been our motto as long as I can remember. It, it, at the end of every class, you know, we say, you know, the, how do we lead? By example, sir. And, and that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of us. I was watching a, an Albert, uh, I was watching an interview with Grandmaster Reed, and he actually referenced uh, an Albert Schweitzer quote that said something to the effect of uh, Albert Schweitzer had um, said that three best ways to teach children is by example by example and by example and i thought that that, that was terrific. So, it, so it lends it it makes it very understandable that you say that that's something that's intrinsic in your um philosophies and teaching oh absolutely so, i mean that that was uh you know we actually uh, part of our black belt exam for a while we also had a written part so that so that Again, you know, it's very the, the physical. Yes, is absolutely important, but but the character and and understanding the philosophy were were very pivotal. Also, so we had a written exam, and and part of that also was, you know, what 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 are the the tenets of 
of, of being a good teacher or being a good student. And one was to lead by example, uh, or no, one was to uh, never ending correction with a smile, uh, to lead by example, and then to continue leading by example. I mean, those were like the three parts to making sure that, that uh, people were good students, good people. I love it. I love it. Uh, let me let me switch gears a little bit. So, uh, in looking at the unique life of Grandmaster Reed, a, a, a man who came from a very different time, who came from a, a, a country that went through in his lifetime uh, World War II, uh, the Korean conflict, comes to the United States um, at a time that obviously martial arts is 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 not well well known. And then ends up being somebody who has relationships and an impact, not just not just a you know a photo op as we would say today, but a, a meaningful relationships with world leaders, with government officials, with Muhammad Ali, with Bruce Lee, with Tony Robbins, who submitted a really very um, thoughtful memorial piece oh, yeah. in, in the passing of of Grandmaster Reed, for, for, uh, which we published. Uh, what was it about him, for those who don't know him, what was it about his um, personality and his <laughs> mindset that gave him the ability to communicate so effectively with all those different types of people, whether they be members of Congress or whether they be um, you know, uh, athletes or whether they be students? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh- I mean, I, you know, wow. I mean, Grandmastery as as a patriotic American, that is, that really, uh, I can't stress how much, like I tell people all the time that he is the most patriotic American I know. Although he was born Korean, I mean, he uh, loved America like, like you would not believe. And, and um, he, um, well, Junior Taekwondo actually started in Texas, you because know, he he was at the University of Texas in San Antonio, right. and after a while he he wanted to be closer to the people, the leaders of the country, the movers and the shakers. So he moved to Washington D.C. He got a place in McLean, um, and he just kind of uh, I believe the story I guess, <laughs> his daughter tells a story one time where he uh, he saw on the news that a, a congressman had gotten mugged. And Grandmaster, he approached him and said, hey, you know, I can teach you Taekwondo. This will never happen again. And, and anyway, long story short, he ends up uh, having a class on Capitol Hill, and he teaches the congressman. And he ran that, that program for over 45 years. And um, it's great. I mean, there was, uh, there's, there's video. He, he, he had a congressman versus, or I'm sorry, he had the Republican versus Democrat sparring match before. And, and uh, there was a tournament where he uh, promoted quite a few congressmen and senators. And actually, you know, just through association, uh, I met a lot myself. I, I had a chance to, to meet Toby Roth and Bob Livingston, Connie Morella, Tom Foley um, was a junior black belt. I mean, wow. very impressive list of people that are very uh, close to Grandmaster Reed. Um, and I think, you know, the words that he said had a bigger impact, I think, because because he, he was a Korean. Um, 
and and he had uh, the the allure of martial arts. I mean, no one knew much about martial arts, you know, just kind of what they saw on TV, and it was kind of mystical at, at, at that time. And this is here's a man that that knows how to do it, and he can he can uh, teach you the ways. But he really took that opportunity to to show. America, how much he loved America. Like he, he, he taught the classes for, for free for Congress. And he really, um, had a couple moments where he really had a chance to, to, uh, to stress how important it is to be an American. Um, let's see, he had, there was an event, um, in Cascon, the Korean American student conference in 1987. And I, I've told this story before, and, and I, I spoke to a friend of mine, Michael Dietrich, who actually was part of that event. And, and I call this a, a pin drop moment because it's one of those moments where you could you could hear a pin drop. But in Cascon, you know, this was at Princeton University. You know, the, the top eight percent of of students are there, and he's at this conference, um, and the theme starts to become things like. We have to stick together as Koreans and prove that we're better than Americans and that we can really do this. And and uh, my friend says that he saw Grandmaster Lee in, in the back, you know, on, on the side of the stage arguing with his wife. And, and she said, no, no, you can't. You can't say it. You know, things like that. And he steps right up to the, to the podium. I mean, and just says, this day is the first day I'm ashamed to be a Korean. Wow. And they all just stared at him. And he just said, look, he said, did you guys forget about the Korean War? You know, what the Americans did first at the Korean War? You are here in the United States right now as, from the opportunity given by the United States. And, and again, you could hear a pin drop. Um, another time he... Uh, uh, he did a demonstration um, at the, the the Russian compound, the Soviet compound in Washington, D.C. It was 1988, and I was actually part of this demo, and we were the first Americans to perform at the Soviet compound. And um, back then, um, martial arts in the former Soviet Union could only be taught to police and military. You weren't allowed to take martial arts as a private citizen. Of course, they thought that, you know, this is something violent. This is something that the, the average person shouldn't partake in. So we came in to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the compound and we did a demonstration. Grandmaster Reed met with a couple of officials. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of paperwork going on there. But long story short, they had Grandmaster Reed do a, a tour of uh, – of the former Soviet Union, and his one of his biggest themes was that, um, of course, martial arts is not about teaching the people to uprise, and it's not about violence. It's about teaching discipline and focusing. It's actually a good thing. Um, when he did that, um, the the government said, "Hey, you know what? You're right. Martial arts is actually good. You know, through self discipline." And, and focus and, and, and teaching children. So they actually granted amnesty. And they said, okay, we know that people are taking martial arts underground. If you are a martial arts school, 
you know, raise your hand. And so they all came up and of course they said, who do we have to thank for this? And, and they said, well, Grandmaster Junior. And so overnight we had 65 schools in the former Soviet Union. Wow. Uh, a lot of them are still there. Um, I actually went to Kazakhstan a couple of years ago for their world championship. And as Grandmaster Reed goes around, um, you know, part of his curriculum is, is doing martial arts forms to uh, American music, American, you know, to, to, the, to God bless America or to the national anthem. And I mean, there are pictures of airplane hangers full of Russians holding a Russian flag in, in, or a Korean flag in one hand and an American flag in the other hand and performing to the national anthem of the United States of America. And, and that right there is, is a, that's a wow moment, you know, and, and it's, this a, it's is a wow moment post cold war. And if you saw it in a movie, you would say it's so unrealistic. It's, it will, it oh, will never happen because it can only happen. It's the, the, the adage, the truth is stranger than fiction. Right. So, and that, oh, these, yeah. and that these types of, of things transcend politics and, 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 and governmental issues. And I, and I think that one of the, yeah. anyone who had the opportunity to witness the, uh, the memorial that you were mm-hmm. you participated in your uh, introduction of God bless America um, yeah. uh-huh. as in, in, in tribute and the, the form it was really beautiful. It's, we have it on, we've had it since then on our uh, website and on our yeah. Facebook because it really is yeah. just really beautiful. And I think, I, I think it speaks volumes to, the um, the point that, that you're that you're making, and I think similarly yeah. about yeah. I you know as as I was doing my research for this and reading about and and I had probably read this before, but just refreshing me about the, the congressional stuff. I said to myself, Wow, if if, mm-hmm. if Congress today, the Democrats and Republicans could square off in <laughs> barring matches and work and work out a lot of their and work out a lot of their differences, it, it might actually be a newfound respect that they would have for each other and be able to communicate in in, in a healthier way. Um, no you know, than, yeah. than, so um, it really is a. Really, and I and, well, you and know, it comes it comes from a mindset I think of of thinking outside the box, which is really yeah, you know, an unusual thinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and 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 uh, I mean that, <laughs> and I'll and I'll get to that to that also. But uh, another thing I wanted to point out is that you know while in Russia, you know, as he's he's going around and and he he visits, I talked about that pin drop moment when he was at Cascon, another huge pin drop moment when he was in Russia is, is he would say out loud, he would say it is important that America is the most powerful country in the world. And he would say that right there in, in Russia. Wow. And, and, but of course he would have an explanation and he would say, the reason why is because America is a melting pot. America represents people from countries all over the world. He said, as much as I love Korea, if Korea was the most uh, powerful country in the world, or if any homogeneous country was the most powerful country in the world, we would have another Nazi Germany. And he said, there's no way we can allow that to happen. And, and Russians agreed, and everyone would agree. It's like, we can't have that situation. 
But in America, every nationality is German. America is a true melting pot. You know. That's that's impressive. That's that's you know that's yeah. that's that's courageous and brave and and true. <laughs> brave, but, yeah. Uh, Wonderful. That, that's it, it, it. You know, all of the stories that, that I've that I've heard are one more. Um, and and again, to some degree, I think talking to somebody like you who has the firsthand knowledge is really uh, terrific. Because um, Grandmaster Reed, to some degree, when you read these stories, especially as people become more removed from it, as I was saying before, is uh, it becomes this, this perhaps this notion that. You know these things can't possibly be true. They must simply yeah. be the product of you know urban legend or marketing or things of that nature. And yeah. um, to be able to hear it from somebody who witnessed it is, I think, really important in terms of preserving the integrity of his legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, luckily, you know, we've we've got enough <laughs> video proof and. And, and social media that can kind of help keep a lot of that alive. But, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, I, I feel that as martial arts grows, you know, which is great. I think a lot of that tends to get watered down, you know, and, and, and you, you tend to lose a lot of the, the, the basic tenets that you first started with. And, and again, it's, it's just like a game of telephone, you know, as, as you go on and on and on and on, sure. Certain things to certain people just aren't as important, and then you know, next thing you know, you just have a gym, you know. And, and right. of course, Grandmaster Ree's big thing is you know, martial arts without philosophy is just street fighting. And so, Absol- you know, I, I absolutely. think, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I was doing a, a, a little bit of uh, reading from a, a great book that is available on Amazon, which uh, has been, I don't know if it was released prior, but certainly has been updated since the passing of Grandmaster Reed. It's A Tiger Roars, the story of June Rhee, martial arts legend mm-hmm. by Michael's, Michael Shackelford. Uh, and that's yeah. available on uh, Amazon. And I'm not sure you can, I'll, I'll, you can tell our listeners where they can find it. But one of the things I found yeah. interesting that I wasn't aware of was the impact of Grandmaster Rhee on such things as the development of uh, head headgear and uh, mm-hmm. uh, protective gear for uh, martial artists, and that that it was it was really uh, ahead of its uh, significantly ahead of its time, um, and and that there were patents that were um, that were filed for and in, in development of those things, which again speaks to his progressive mm-hmm. um, and entrepreneurial nature, aside from being yeah. what I would say humbly and simply a more than simply a martial artist right yeah yeah i mean yeah he uh his background is is uh in colleges and engineering so he was a kind of he had that engineering mindset of how can i develop something for this or how can i make this better or how can i improve that and, and i think uh you know he had just seen way too many injuries in martial arts and uh, he he thought to himself, hey, I we should do something about this. And he, and he developed the gear, and of course he he tested it a lot. And um, yeah, he eventually got the patent for it. He um, really kind of took martial arts out out of the dark ages. Um, and then he also allowed martial arts to be more accessible 
reach more people. You know, if if you take, uh, you know, the the traditional sense of of martial arts, and uh, especially in Taekwondo, I mean, it's a very physical martial art. It's it's full contact. Um, really, there's a there's a very specific demographic that could uh, that Taekwondo could appeal to, and and we're talking like males between the ages of 14 and 23 would would be most superior. But you know that was just a little bit too narrow. So he he redeveloped the curriculum. He made the, he made safety gear. Um, he retaught you know, teaching, and next thing you know, now we've got students as young as four, we've got students as old as in their 80s or 90s, um, and and there's an opportunity for everybody to benefit from from martial arts. That is, is, is really, truly amazing. And you, you gave a statistic before, which, again, I don't know whether that statistic is currently accurate, but I've certainly heard that statistic, and, and I've sort of looked at it at beyond that, but about the 3% um, becoming yeah. black belt and in, in in keeping in mind if 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 this number is accurate how truly staggering it is is that they that i had read that grandmaster Ree had uh developed promoted uh, uh somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand black belts over yeah. the course of his um time and and through his through his channels and through his schools um that number being a, accurate it, it just goes to show if three percent is the the through <laughs> number the number of people and i'm a believer that even if you walk away from the martial arts after a short period of time that there's going to be some level of it that sticks whether you realize it or oh, not absolutely. but that the impact yeah. internationally on the world really um in terms of the the june re philosophy um mm-hmm. I mean that that's pretty significant. I mean I, I I can't you know necessarily think that there's anyone who, as a contemporary predecessor, or 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 that succeeded him, that can can you know boast of such a such a a, a claim and that would it would and that it would be real. Yeah yeah I I had actually yeah we. <laughs> It's it's very hard. It, it was actually very hard to come up with that hundred thousand number, but you know we started to. It, it's very easy to start the roots of Jimmy Taekwondo. I mean, martial arts really back then was in its infancy. I mean, there was there were two big uh, two big schools. We had Ed Parker on the West Coast. We had Grandmaster on the East Coast, and then um, and then other people started immigrating also uh, to the United States. Um, after they were established, and we started to, to put together a family tree of, of of who produced who, and then I was like, well, then it kind of became more like a web, and and then it just kind of kept trickling down and, and and moving on, and then people kept moving, and then people would go to different countries, and it was really, you know, an exact number would would probably honestly be a lot if if you wanted to play the, you know, six degrees of separation or, or, or whatever, you know, a lot of it will, would trace back to Grandmaster E, but that, that was kind of really Chunri's big, big point, um, kind of summarizing the, the end of his father's life is, is that, you know, if in 50 years he could do all this, you know, imagine what a hundred thousand people could do in, in 
150 years. And Grandmaster really did his best to leave such a, a strong legacy behind. I mean, by 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 just by producing black belts. I mean, his big thing was leading by example, and and he absolutely lived it. I mean, he didn't drink. Um, he did a thousand. He was doing a thousand push-ups a day, um, and and he he made people leaders. I mean, when you when you get when you test for your black belt in our system, you give a speech. The speech is what Junie Taekwondo has done for me, and it does, that does a couple things. One, it uh, it helps you overcome the fear, the biggest fear in the United States, which is public speaking, because he understands that in order to be a leader, you have to be a public speaker. And then he also wants you to kind of reflect and see what you have accomplished through determination, through focus, through self-discipline. Um, and then, you know, along the way, you realize that the kick and punching was actually just a small part of what Grandmaster was trying to teach. He was creating leaders, and he created such an amazing legacy. I mean, black belts, black belts were not designed to be fighters. They were designed to be leaders. You know, and, and, and even, even though only a small percentage make martial arts their career, a lot of people can credit their success to, to, to grandmastery, things that he has, life skills that they've learned. You know, doctors, lawyers, business people, you know, people, people like Tony Robbins, you know, politicians, sure. artists, philanthropists, you know, and, and I've literally seen over the, the past 30 plus years, the, the progression of, of the, the way it, it transforms people and it sets them in, in the right path. I, I can't even count how many people have literally said they owe their lives to martial arts. And, and, and you're right, you know, not everybody finishes it. But, you know, everybody, you know, that has taken it and taken it seriously has benefited from it. And, and I can even give you a, a real short side story. I was, you know, I've, I, I don't even know how many students I've taught, but I was in a parking lot of a grocery store one time and a, and a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, are you, you're Mr. Panita, right? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, you don't remember me, but you taught my kids about, about 10 years ago, Dolan and Dominic Chittum. And, and I said, yo, I, I actually remember their names. I was like, how are they doing? He goes, yeah, we were, we were students. We were only there for about six months and we, we, you know, we couldn't really afford to keep going, but I just want you to know, and I'm glad I saw you. I wanted to tell you that since they took martial arts lessons, they would not sell it for anything less than a B on the report card. And wow. I, at that moment I felt, wow. I was like, I am, I am doing what I meant to do. I'm, <laughs> This is what I want to do with my life, and and this is what Grandmastery has taught me to pass down to other people. That is that that is is significant, and and again, I think one of the one of the things that is is for me is um, so significant about um, being able to to relate to is, is that uh, again coming from a, a significant. Uh, Taekwondo family. I'm, I, I trained with a grand, senior grandmaster Y.H. Park mm-hmm. and uh, Grandmaster mm-hmm. Y.H. Park for 30 some odd years, and their legacy in the Taekwondo community. And that when I travel, and people were to ask, you know, who, who is your grandmaster? Who have you trained under? And I say Y.H. Park. That I, I, invariably, there's no place that I've gone that I haven't come across students who can relate oh, to stories yeah. of, of, again, oh, I, I, I trained at this school or I trained during this time or my children trained during that time or whatever the case is, and, and always with positive reflection about 
the behavior and about what it brought to their life. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah, that's absolutely, it. and so, and, and that's a big part of it. It's 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 how it affects your life. It's it's not you know <laughs> when you tell people. You know, they don't think back. It's like, oh, yeah, Grandmaster Park, yeah, he, he had a pretty high kick or he had, you know, he had strong punches. I mean, they think of how he, how, you know, as a person and, and what you learn from him. And, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that's, that's what your goal is, that, you know. That is very, very true and, and, and very, very important. And I think that that is, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you in terms of, I know that uh, Grandmaster uh, Re wasn't active in the in the later in the later years in terms of um, the day to days of the of the teaching. Yeah. And in now one year of one year in um, in memorial for him, what would you think? What do you think is the greatest legacy? Of we've talked a lot about it in the last hour, but what do you think is the greatest legacy of Grandmaster Junry? Uh, wow, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to that. Um, you know, I think uh, he left behind leaders. He left behind enough leaders that. Uh, Teach what's important, you know, his philosophy and what's important, and is able to trickle that down to every single life they touch. And really, that was one of Grandmaster's biggest visions. I mean, he, you know, he he, he thought huge. I mean, he wanted he wanted Taekwondo to be as popular as as uh, soccer and baseball in the United States. He wanted it taught in every school. Um, he wanted every American to be a black belt. And, and I think, you know, that was his best way of doing it. And just like you said, I mean, if, if we can think, you know, if we think we a hundred thousand black belts, I mean, then that, then that's a hundred thousand people that are spreading the word and teaching people to be better people and to lead by example and, and, and to make yourself a better person physically and mentally. You know, and I think he did a, he did a great job of, of leaving a lot of that behind, and and you know of course in, in in talking to a lot of people, you know at his funeral, I mean it, it just it was became so obvious, you know the the number of lives he touched. I mean I, I was meeting people that were flying in from everywhere um, to, to pay their respects, and and if they couldn't fly, they were they were calling or they were sending emails or they were or whatever. But everybody. You know, had to to make sure that they they paid their respects, and and just the, the vastness of, of where that reached out just kind of shows how many lives that he touched. And and I think, you know, if he knew how many lives he touched and how many of those people are touching other lives through his teachings and philosophy and making them better people, I think you know that's that's his biggest legacy. I think is, is leaving a lot of that behind. Well, that's great. And you answered, and you sort of answered my my follow up question, which I think is, I was, did he fully understand his impact? Which, which, it, you know, in his humility, it seems to me that your that your thought is that he probably didn't fully understand in his life the, the, the full impact, the full import of all he had done to 
affect the world and the Taekwondo world? Um, you know, it, it's hard to say. You know, he he was really kind of living um, living in the moment. Like he was always somewhere or he was always giving a seminar somewhere. He was always talking somewhere and he was meeting people and he was getting awards left and right. And, and I think, you know, when you're, when, when that actually becomes your lifestyle, it's, it's hard to kind of look back and, and, and see from a third person point of view, how great, like every single thing uh, that's going on is. You know, and and I really think, you know, I, I feel that so that in his final days that he uh, he really um, started to reflect. You know, I, I think you know his 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 health wasn't good. He he had led kind of a sedentary lifestyle um, because of the shingles. Um, wasn't very physical, but I think he actually kind of sat back and and started to kind of catalog everything he had done and, and looked back and people would call him and, and kind of remind them, remind him of the impact he had on their lives. And, and I think he did kind of start to take it in. And, and, and I would like to think that in his final moments, he, he thought to himself, I, I, I did my, I did my share. You know, I, I made the impact I needed to make and, and, or, you know, whatever I left behind, the people I left behind can, can carry this forward. You know, and, and I really, I, I feel that way. I really do. And that's, that's important. And that's leading into, in the interest of time, in terms of winding down, one of the things that I wanted to speak to you about was as somebody in your position, um, what is it that you feel is needed? And again, I don't necessarily, it's kind of a broad question, but you have someone who's now left us in the past year who's made this great impact. What is it that is incumbent upon you to keep that legacy going and to keep that progression moving forward? And your contemporaries who are the senior students and family of, of Grandmaster Reed, what is it that you need to do or consciously are doing to keep that, that alive? Or is it simply a perpetuation of what you've been doing because you've been so um, immersed in this philosophy and system for your entire um, life? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think just kind of doing what we've been doing is, is, is kind of a big part of it. You know, Grandmastery, I think he kind of started to phase himself out a little bit. I think most, it mostly came um, after he got shingles. Um, he had really kind of made sure that we understood the philosophy and kind of kind of prepared us to 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 take care of things in his absence and 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 um yeah, I feel very confident that that the way that I teach and the way his son teaches and and the way that the instructors and are teaching, I think still um, have a lot of of, of his philosophy right there. I mean, it's, it's all based on, on his philosophy. That's, 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 so if, if I'm a, a new student who comes in, a young student who doesn't really know uh, Grandmaster June, Junery, um, you know, maybe I'm just too young, 
uh, haven't, haven't really had that exposure. I'm walking in. I'm not necessarily walking in because I necessarily know Grandmaster June Reva, maybe know the reputation of the of the school and of the institution. How much will I be exposed to the, the lineage and the history of of where it is that your system that your system comes from and, st- and stems from? You know, I I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say the 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 lineage and the history, but definitely the the ideals, the philosophy and the ideals. You know, I think um, um, Grandmastery has his, his one of his big uh, pieces of his philosophy is the seven qualities of a champion. And this is uh, seven qualities that you gain as a martial artist and then how they will affect you later on in life. For example, uh, on the martial arts side, we have speed, timing, endurance, balance, flexibility, posture. And then when you kind of flip on how that will affect you in life, that turns into alertness, punctuality, perseverance, rationality, generosity, honesty. Um, and I, I really think you know that sets a lot of things straight. But, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're saying you're a young student, I mean, we've always really catered to, to the younger clientele or the parents kind of have us help with the more difficult parts of raising their children, which is teaching them self-discipline and focus. Because, of course, self-discipline and focus is easy to teach, but it's hard to teach if you're the parent. You know, if it comes from your martial arts instructor, of course, that that makes a huge difference. <laughs> you know, we're and you know we're we're kind of in that boat of of uh, it, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, that is that is very well said, very well said, and I, and I think that if you are a uh, martial arts instructor, somebody involved in the, in the community, and you take it seriously, that that is part and parcel of, of your of your mindset and it has to be for you to be um successful and to be good and to be able to make the, the, the connections i think it's it's really important uh there's so much that we could talk about um uh we could talk for hours and, and um about yeah uh, you you and about uh grandmaster Junri and about his life and about his um a commitment and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna highlight a lot of that in my intro but what in in the concluding moments that we have for this this part? What what is it that you would want people to know um, about Grandmaster Junri, or about you about you and 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 about your um, your schools? Anything that you want to focus on? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Grandmaster um is a man that's dedicated his entire life to to not just teaching good martial arts, but to also uh, making people better um, in all aspects of life. Um, he, he has, you know, his accomplishments and everything that he's done is just, I mean, it's it's, it's countless. And, and uh, you know, I would. You know, I, there's no way I could even come close to accomplishing what Grandmaster did. I, I think he 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 overdid it for a reason. He 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 really wanted to lead by example. He wanted to show 
what he could do. He wanted to show the, the possibilities of what uh, and the difference that one person could make for the better. Um, and and really, you know that that that's really what martial arts is all about. Martial arts, you know, like I said before, it's it's not about making you a better fighter. It's not about making you have the best kicks and the best punches. I mean, it's about making you a better person. It's about making you a better person and and making those behind you better people. I mean, he he really had had the goal of of helping everybody, of making everybody a better person, um, regardless of background. That is also one of the things I love about true martial arts training is that it is, it is colorblind, it is uh, class-blind, it is socioeconomically blind. It's, it's, it, it, it only sees effort, and it only sees yeah. commitment and behavior. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the, you know, we're, we're all – Every everybody's equalized on on the mat as a you know as yeah. it relates to anything else in, in in society that separates us. Yeah, actually, oh. I, yeah. I, let me can I tell one story? That sure, can, sure, of course. Can kind of, of course. it can kind of encompass a lot of of, of, of grandmaster I, I would love to hear. It. <laughs> and, and of course, there are a lot of stories, but grandmastery and and I I heard this story um, from from Fred Simon himself. Uh, but Fred Simon, Grandmaster Yi had his first school in Washington, D.C. On, on K Street, and he kind of opened the door to everybody. And in, in, in the 1960s, um, you know, we're still in, in segregated America. And a uh, little African-American child comes in to take classes, and he comes in through the back door of, of the of the martial arts school, and then he meets Grandmaster Ree, and and Grandmaster Ree was actually a little confused. He said, "Why, why'd you come in through the back door?" And he says, "Well, you know, we're not allowed to come in through the front door." And he said, "That's nonsense." He walked into the front door, and he said, "From now on, you come and go out of this door." He said, "Every person in this school will be treated as an equal." And he said, my school will accept everyone. And, you know, he wanted to set that example. And, and he wanted to use martial arts as the vehicle to deliver such a powerful message. And um, Fred Simon became, uh, in 1960, became the first uh, African-American instructor, um, oh, wow. or the first African-American student. And then in 1968, became the first African-American instructor um, in the system. And he wanted to unite the place to make it a better place regardless of race or religion and, and, and kind of rewinding back to Republicans and Democrats, they all worked out together, <laughs> you know, no, that's, that is, that is, 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 is great. And, and, you know, I, I train with so many people and I've trained with so many people and, you know, while you're on the mat, you never know any, you know, you don't know those, those you don't know what somebody does for a living. You don't know right. what kind of car that you're, you don't know any of those things. You learn those things on the, on the outside. But again, all you know is, is again, are they someone who is, can I trust them, right? You develop a, a position right. of trust. There, can I trust that person to work out with them? Are they uh, mm -hmm. somebody that I can rely on as a sparring partner or as a, a self-defense partner or, or for whatever yeah. the case is. And I think that that is truly um, one of the, the, the amazing things about it. And, and uh, your story holds so true to 
everything that I heard about uh, Grandmaster uh, Junri and and is a part of the, the, the tribute to his legacy uh, and to his success. If people want to find out more about um, you and about uh, your um, your school and about the the, the the any of the other schools where um, they, where you you you're, you guys are organized, how would they go about doing that? What would be the best place for them to to, to do that? Well, um, probably the good starting point would be Junery.com, and it'll show a lot of uh, information. There's some pictures on the gallery on, on Grand Mastery. And actually, the the book that we uh, released, uh, Tiger Roars, actually that is actually all dialogue that was taken from the website. Um, and yeah, a little bit about that book. That that book is um, um, was literally put together from a shoebox that his son found in his garage that I think was about to be thrown away. <laughs> and and I was like, wait, let me let me take that shoebox. And I went through all the pictures, and I mean never before seen stuff and I had actually had to, to meet with Grandmaster several times at his condo and, and ask him like who's this? When was this taken? And and uh I think he enjoyed that going through that experience but it, it there are a, a lot of unseen photos um in that book. And that book is available on Amazon. Is that the best place to get it or, or can they order it someplace yeah. else? Amazon. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah I, it's, I, it's available on Amazon and it's it's it, yeah it's it's printed by Amazon so um, yeah, I, I would encourage anybody. The, the book that we're referring to is a tiger, a tiger roars. The story of Junri martial arts legend by Michael Shackelford. And I would say, tell you that in re, in looking through the book and and reading the book, um, which I did twice so far, um, yeah. it is a piece of Junri history. It's a piece of American history. Uh, people get a good sense as to uh, where. Uh, the world was from the 1930s to now from a certain unique perspective. It's a piece of American martial arts and American Taekwondo history. Um, the photographs are just, just captivating and the stories are great. It's, it's, it is a fantastic um, tribute and, 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 and piece of work. So I encourage anybody to, uh, to pick that up. I really, uh, uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of, books out there and there certainly are a lot of martial arts books out there but this this is a unique um uh work and and i i highly recommend it and what we'll, what we'll do is in the show notes we're going to link uh places for to buy this book we'll we'll link junery.com and of course the other one that we you and i had spoken about um pro- before the interview is the the bruce lee book uh mm-hmm. which is uh yeah. the, the name escapes me at the moment but it was one that i had read which it, it is a great uh, is a great one as well, and that's a uh, Bruce, yeah. Bruce Bruce and Bruce and I. Or it's Bruce? called yeah Bruce Lee and I. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Lee and I, which is again for yeah. for, for people that have, um, you know, sort of only danced around the notion that hey, I, I heard that uh, uh, you know uh, June we taught uh, Bruce Lee the sidekick. This is a, this is a great um, personal opportunity to 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 look at that relate at that relationship, and I see that Linda. Um, that, that Linda did uh, the preface for a letter in the yeah. preface for the, the Tiger uh, yeah. uh, Tiger Roars. Yeah, she yeah she did. She's uh, she's she's a fantastic person. She I, I had the the pleasure of meeting her actually at Grandmaster's funeral, and she said some some very some great words on um, um, at the memorial. I, and I guess what I could also point out too, you were asking about the website. 
um, jimmy.com is a good place, to, a good starting point. Um, and it would actually lead you to my school. Um, Barry Shackelford and I own the Junior Taekwondo School in Arlington. And our, our direct website is arlingtonkicks.com. But we actually, on our website, did put a link to the, uh, to the memorial service. Um, and, and, I, in and I encourage anyone to um, to to view that, and I will we'll link that as well because it is beautiful, it's mm-hmm. moving, and it is it yeah. gives you a sense of the of the true impact of uh, Grandmaster Ree on so many people in and out of the martial arts community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are talking today to a seventh degree black belt, Master Francis Pineda, uh, who was a student and an instructor in the June Re system. Um, and I can't thank you enough for talking to us and for sharing your time and sharing your stories. And uh, we look forward to speaking more in the future and um, finding out more. And, and, we, and I look forward to helping to perpetuate together with you the, the legacy and the vision of Grandmaster Junri in in the world, which is a better world for him having lived and trained and taught. Thank you. There was something I know you wanted to add. Yeah. Uh, as, as far as Grandmaster Reed being the most patriotic American I, I knew, he, he actually had redeveloped the system. Um, the original system in Junior Taekwondo, the, the Chunjukwan ITF system, was all based on, on the traditional forms of the Chunji, Tengun, Tosan series. And uh, somewhere in the early 80s, he decided to Americanize the system, and he wanted to change the curriculum, and he wanted it to be American-themed. So, so we had forms that were... Chunji, Tengen, Tosan, and now we had forms that were, were called Ancestors, America, um, uh, Peace, Justice, and he thought those were the most important ideals to teach. So he, he said, you know what, I want to make those the titles of the forms. I want to create the forms. We're going to start doing forms to the American National Anthem. We're going to do forms to God Bless America, and he got everyone to do it and 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 that's what you would see in 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 russia you would see you know russians doing god bless america you'd see them doing um forms to the american national anthem so he he had really uh and in that and doing that also he he made the curriculum something that everybody could could take part in you know he made he made the forms have strong basics but he made them easy enough so that Children as young as four or five years old could do them, and then people that were in their 80s could still take part in martial arts. So in changing the curriculum, he managed to uh, make it much more patriotic um, and then actually open it up to a much, much larger demographic. Basically, everybody could could take martial arts. That's great. That's great. And I think that that is one of the themes that I've been speaking to people about and I think that it's something that is now starting to, to um, starting to blossom. He he uh, to a large degree may have been the the product of his uh, a lot of his germination of of the seeds of, and that is to being able to expand the parameters of Taekwondo to include the seniors, 
to include the very young, to include the power of Taekwondo um, division mm-hmm. so that people can um, get from Taekwondo what they need, even if they're not in the traditional competitive um, demographic of, of, of people who are, who are fi- combat uh, martial artists but are people who are, 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 self, are, are using the martial arts as a, as a vehicle for self mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's great. That's great. And I really appreciate that and those thoughts. So thank you so much. Okay. So yeah. I am pleased today to be speaking to Master Chun Ri, who is a seventh Don Taekwondo black belt. And he is the director of the Falls Church, Virginia uh, School in the Junri Taekwondo system. Is that correct, sir? Yes, sir, it is. And you have another um, unique distinction, which I didn't mention in the intro. Uh, and can you tell our listeners your relationship to Grandmaster Junri? I'm his son. Wonderful. And those who are familiar with, we talked a little bit about this with uh, Master Pineda, but those that are familiar like myself with the history of uh, Grandmaster Junri's school would know you or perhaps recognize you from the very ahead of their time television commercials uh, that took place in the the Nobody Bothers Me during the time that you were a, a child. Is that correct? Yeah, I was five at the time, and my sister, uh, she was also in the commercial. She was four. And, uh, yeah, I I briefly, you know, I kind of remember what we did, but um, it was so quick. It was was done before it was over, as soon as it started. It was ahead of its its time, and I had mentioned to Matt Pineda for myself, um, my earliest impressions of your father were two things. One was the film which I don't know that many people who know from, you know, this day and age, but uh, when Taekwondo strikes and the second were from your the series of commercials, the no, uh, nobody bothers me commercial. So it had a lasting impact. It was very unique. It was, you know, unlike anything, I think at the time it was, it was unusual for martial arts yeah. schools to do any type of uh, broad-based advertising. So, right. So my yeah my my father actually did several commercials before the Nobody Buys Me commercials uh, that he started himself and uh, it was actually totally by accident that that we were chosen to do what we did um, the one of the, the uh, I guess the the uh, whoever filmed the commercial was actually a student of my father's and um, my father was actually going to say the line Nobody Bothers Me and the uh um his friend suggested that maybe the kids you know if the kids said it might maybe it more accepted if they said it uh so we you know they, you know we have to be with them at the time and uh I think we took four or five takes to do it, and that became history from that point on so no, that was great it was uh everything happens for a reason, and it, it fell into exactly place. <laughs> and and for those well, who have not have not seen those commercials, they are actually um i'm not sure if they're available on your site, but they are uh uh, when I was doing my research, they're they're fully available on YouTube. So if you were to look yes, them up, yes. you, you you can see them in, on YouTube. So one of the things that we're to- we're talking about today um, is we we're now one year from your father's passing, mm-hmm. and uh, with with a little bit of time uh, and a little bit of distance between that, uh, we were we were discussing your father's life, his legacy and his his contributions and and the stories um 
have been from all corners of of the of the world and from the taekwondo world have been so uh, warm and affirming as to his character um and his humanity uh his contribution to um human uh humanism and his contributions to um taekwondo but i think having the opportunity to speak to you um as somebody who is a taekwondo practitioner and also his son i wanted to have the give you the opportunity to um perhaps give us some thoughts on on what you perceive as your father's uh, greatest contributions to um to both taekwondo and to the world mm-hmm. um yeah i think just you know just what we currently do right now at our studios uh i'm sorry can you hear me <laughs> of course um yeah okay uh, uh i think just just the character development and the leadership quality that we teach uh kind of all that uh, the the uh yeah just just making you know changing these kids uh and and adults uh just helping them with with uh instilling them with leadership qualities uh confidence things like that and i'm not sure if uh you know i think he was credited for um connecting the two um and not just teaching punching and kicking and the philosophy behind martial arts and um and up to his passing he wrote that book tritopia um so character development was a big part of his message um and uh just how you know martial arts schools right now are are you know helping kids uh with that with character development i i think that's a very very important it's one of the things that i love about um taekwondo and traditional martial arts as opposed to uh, some of the other you know forms of, of better athletic you know mixed martial arts and things of that nature mm-hmm. that, that are ne- not necessarily um philosophically based but are based they're, they're some great fighters, but don't necessarily have the philosophical uh, uh, underpinnings. And, and one of the things I like about the traditional. Let me ask you a question about um, sometimes when we're very close to things, we don't necessarily always have an opportunity to see them. Um, your dad is such a renowned worldwide, um, was a celebrity and uh, a revered figure. Um, and he had such an unbelievable impact on the art and on the sport. Uh, did you, uh, growing up, was that something that you were able to sense, or was it something that was just um, ordinary for you because of the fact that it was it was your father as opposed to you didn't you didn't view him as the legend you viewed him as dad. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, the the thing about him is that. Um, from sun up to sundown, uh, for as long as I've known him, everything he did was based on his business and, and taekwondo and martial arts. So, uh, yeah, so some of the extraordinary things, like you know, him, I do recall him, you know, going, uh, leaving home uh, to make the movie, uh, and I just thought that was a normal thing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think I was exposed to so much of what he was doing that it was that you saw it every day. It was. Um, you know, people calling, you know, Chuck Norris calling the house. Um, when I was a kid, I do, I remember Bruce Lee coming to the house. Uh, I was five or six at the time. And, uh, it, it just was every, I mean, that was who he was. Um, uh, and, uh, so yeah, to me it was normal activity, but I think that anybody else it would have been, 
you know, pretty, pretty extraordinary uh, to to see what he was doing. So yes, I I think it's uh, it's a unique perspective that you have, and and you were you were so close to it. Um, let me ask you about your your own your own training because I think that one of the things you know that that in speaking to uh, people who have uh, this close relationship to uh, somebody who's great in anything, whether it be politics or whether it be a sport, is that there are sometimes that the children gravitate towards that, and there are sometimes that the children gravitate away from that. I know for yeah. my own grandmaster, uh, who is uh, renowned. Uh, Olympic coach and, and Korean national champion and uh, organizer in Taekwondo that uh, his oldest son uh, was very interested in, in, in the arts. His second son was less interested, but gravitated back towards it as he got a little bit more mature from your own perspective and your own, you're not, you're now uh, been involved for a long time and you're, you're running uh, uh, one of the schools. What is your, what was your perspective on it? Was it always a given for you that you would be uh, a Taekwondo practitioner or was it something that um, you really were interested in doing? Yeah. As a kid, I enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. Uh, up until, and then, so, you know, growing up and you know, I grew up in the school, uh, you know, literally he would, my, you know, my mother also worked uh, this is in, the, in the early days. Um, the main school was, uh, was in downtown Washington, D.C. Uh, and we would, you know, after school, we would, my mom would take us to the studio and we would be there uh, till nine o'clock at night. Uh, so growing up, uh, up until high school, so I, I was more like the second, the second son you described, uh, your grandmaster. Um, <laughs> after, you know, once I started uh, playing other sports, I had, I did, I did have other interests. Uh, so I, I took a, I probably stopped, once I got my black belt, which is in high school, um, I did take a break and, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I vowed not to return ever again. Uh, but after college, uh, my brother had a studio and he needed some help and, and he said, you know what, why don't you just, you don't have to work full time, just, just kind of help me out a little bit. Uh, and from that point on running the studio, I, I did get back into it. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, I, it was, I think it was a shock to my father that I did come back. I think he was happily surprised, uh, but he never pushed me. Once we, the agreement was once I got my black belt, I can make my own decisions. Uh, so I think for a while he thought I would not come back, but when, when I did, he was, he was really happy that I did. No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the notion that, you know, once, once you become a black belt, you're always a black belt, and and that's always yeah. in, in you. And 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 given the right sort of circumstances, um, and the right opportunities, people people return. Um, that's a, that's very interesting. What would you say? What's your favorite part about now that you've returned and now that you're you're uh, you know running school? What's your favorite part from your perspective about, or what do you feel is the most valuable? or most enjoyable part of what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis and the contributions that you make? Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, so, so our majority of our students are, are kids. Um, and a lot of the kids who start in our school are, you know, four, five, and six. And just to watch them, uh, just to watch them grow in our studio. And a lot of our uh, black belts, you know, started with us when they were, uh, and most kids don't get their black belt until they're age maybe 12 or 11. Uh, so, when you see the transformation that these kids are making from age four to age 12, uh, that's the most rewarding part uh, is uh, and the parents uh, who thank us, you know, uh, we can get a lot of kids, you know, I think a lot of the schools and not just ours 
um, have uh, kids with ADHD or maybe uh, they have uh, um, you know, other learning issues and uh, or, or physical issues and they come to our school and we help them, you know, uh, we work on their strengths and obviously and, and help them develop uh, and then the confidence that, that it builds as they're, as they're growing through our program. Um, so uh, that, that's the most rewarding part is to watch these kids grow with us. I, I think that's I think that's great, and it's interesting for me as I, I've interviewed so many people over the years, and very few people ever say to me things like you know anything that relates to well the highest kick or the strongest kick. It's always about the sense of community and the sense of being able to to do help people um, and commune with people of a of a similar um, philosophy and understanding. And I think that's one of the things that makes Taekwondo unique. So I would, in leading into my next question is, if I were to ask you, which I, I, I occasionally will ask folks that I'm speaking to, what does, if, if I were to say to you, what does Taekwondo mean to you, for you, um, well, how would you characterize that? What, what, what does Taekwondo mean to uh, Master Chun Ri? Um, that's a good question. I never thought. Of that. Um, I just, I just think it's, it's, it's the same thing that my father would say. It's, 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 it's a vehicle to help people, um, you know, become the best they can be. Uh, it's not, it's not about the, you know, we teach good self-defense, I think, and, and, uh, but it's not just about the kicking and punching. It's about, um, you know, uh, you know, persistence and, and perseverance. Uh, goal setting, um, you know, leading by example, and uh, it's all those uh, qualities of, of a good leader or a good human being, uh, and and that's that's what Taekwondo is is for me. And we uh, yeah, we 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 have a, I think our the skill level of our students are are better than average in terms of how my father was very particular in how he taught the curriculum that we teach. Um, you know, we have a unique system that, that's based on uh, some of the, the, the basics that my father kind of created. Um, and I think most people who, who see our students, our black belts in particular, are like, wow, you know, technically they're very sharp. Um, so, but that's, to, to me, it's not that important. Um, you know, years, you know, most students aren't, you know, once, when they get their black belt, they'll, they'll be, you know, off doing living life. And hopefully the things that they learned about, you know, sticking to something and, and working hard uh, will translate, you know, in their regular life uh, and whatever they do. So that, that to me is what's most important. That's great. Uh, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. I think that's a very uh, thoughtful answer. Um, in terms of your, your dad, I, 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 everybody that I've spoken to, and I, and I believe sincerely, not just for the purposes of, of answering the questions, have had nothing but kind things to say about him. And there's also been an underpinning of the fact that he was a very, as you said, he was very meticulous and very strict and very disciplined and that he probably valued discipline more than technique. Uh, I had told the story to Master Pineda. I had one of the folks I had interviewed was a, a black belt, a highly skilled black belt who came to a test with your dad and um, was prepared to test and your dad was not pleased with his bow and asked him to step off to the side, and he had expected that that was going to be a short-term, you know, a 15-minute timeout, so to speak, but turned out to be that he was asked to pass on that exam and test the next time. 
Is that yeah. is that in line with the the father and and the grandmaster that that you knew? Yeah, I mean, over the years, he actually, he actually you know, became much uh, more, uh, I guess, reasonable in his thought. So in the early days, uh, if you talk to people like Jeff Smith and some of the early Pat uh, the Worldly Brothers, uh, yeah, my my father would, I mean, he would, he was uh, very, uh, I don't know if you say authoritarian, but uh, yeah, he, he did, whatever he wanted, it had to be done. And he would scream and yell uh, until it got done. Uh, and I think over the years, you know, he, he, my, my mother probably had an influence on, on him being more uh, diplomatic with his approach. Um, so he yelled, at, and I think but the great thing was that he recognized that he was that way. So uh, I remember uh, as a kid, uh, you know, when he when he was when he was yelling, uh, he would he would catch himself and say, you know what, I, I promised I would stop yelling, and and he he became much better at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to him, basics were were everything. I mean. If he, yeah, if you're gonna uh, be a black belt, uh, you, you better do the basics correctly, and uh, and bowing was to him very important. Um, uh, you know, it's the, you know the the sidekick, uh, the basics of a sidekick and a front punch. I mean, that had to be perfect, uh, and there are no excuses uh, for not doing it. So, and that's why our you know the quality or standard that we have in our school is so high is because of the basics that he preached. Uh, so. Um, yeah, he. I, I think he he became much more uh, softer in his tone, um, but uh, you know he he was very goal oriented. I mean, everything that that he achieved was based on the vision that he had and the goal, and and that, and that's why he was so su- successful. I think. Um, that's yeah, that's that, was, that, that speaks a lot, and I, and I and I think that's truly in line with the the things that I've that I've heard about him. And 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 successful people tend to be very driven towards a uh, a vision and and yeah. uh, and I, I think that he certainly managed to um do a lot to share that vision uh successfully with people all over the world mm-hmm. let me ask you in in winding down if you were to look at what you consider to be uh again as we're a year from your dad's passing and memorial, what would you consider his greatest contribution to the world to be? Well, I I just uh, probably, you know, bringing martial arts to the forefront and not uh, something that was looked at uh, as a, as a uh, you know street fighting activity or to, to you know you know um, just kind of de- uh, developing the image of martial arts as something that's very, that's very positive. Uh, I think not just you know, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of the martial arts you know come through karate, judo. Um, they uh, I guess from from his my father's efforts, they also benefited from the message that he created. Um, you know, my father had friends in all the different disciplines, and I think he was respected uh, by by most of them. And uh, and it didn't matter uh, what what you taught, what style you taught, you know, what color you were. Uh, my father, you know, welcomed welcomed everybody as as part of the same family. So um, I think that to me, I think is probably his greatest contribution is 
in changing the image of martial arts. Because even when he was taking Taekwondo uh, in Korea, it wasn't looked as it wasn't looked upon favorably. I mean, he had to he had to hide the fact that he was you know, taking lessons from his father because um, it was something that was not looked at as a positive thing. So uh, I think he knew the benefit and how it changed his life. Uh, at a young age, and you know that was one of his visions: is, is making uh, taekwondo uh, a household word, uh, which I think you know. I think today you know, most people know what taekwondo is. So, to me, that was a greatest contribution. That's great, and 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 again, that certainly is is true to everything that I've read and and heard about about your dad. If people want to find out more about uh, you and about your um, your school uh, and how to get in touch with you. What would be the best way for them to do that? Oh uh, yeah, we have a website. It's junrietkd.com. J H O O N R H E E T K D dot com. Um, there are only two schools uh, uh, in the states uh, that teach the junior system officially, uh, and that's my school and Master Panita School, which is uh, about two miles away from me. So. Um, so we're in Falls Church, Virginia, and the other location is in Arlington, Virginia. Wonderful. And what is upcoming for you in the next in the next year, or next six months? Any exciting events, tournaments, anything that you want to share with the folks that are going to hear this over the course of the next three weeks? Uh, no, nothing going on. I mean, we're 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 tri- with my my family and I are still working on you know trying to figure out what you know what we can do to. Uh, to extend my, I mean, my father's legacy, and we'll probably you know, develop some kind of scholarship fund for our students. Um, but uh, uh, and we we miss the family. Like our family will have a small like get together uh, probably this summer uh, to commemorate uh, my father's passing. Um, but uh, other than that, nothing really big. Well, that's 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 wonderful, and I appreciate it. And we are speaking today uh, to Master Chun. Ri, who is the son of the late Grandmaster Junri, and who is a seventh Don Taekwondo master and the head of the Falls Church uh, Junri School. And I thank you today for taking time to talk to us, to share a little bit about your life and about your your father's uh, legacy. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.